0: To a hoops journey, um, this is going to be a fun episode. Uh, really appreciate this gentleman taking his time, um, coming off, you know, a whirlwind few weeks with the Fraser Valley Bandits, um, and he's got you know some some family time and home time before he uh, takes off overseas to uh, Taiwan again. Um, a gentleman who is you know a, a rich history in basketball, um, played at the national team level, played pro overseas. Um, and now has dedicated his life to coaching the game, um, working on Global Blueprint basketball as well. And like we said, um, had a great run with the Fraser Valley Bandits as the head coach. i um, super, super thrilled to have Kyle Julius on today. How are you, sir?
1: Thanks, Aaron. I'm, I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, good, good. Um, we think your story is a great one. And, and we're thrilled to hear uh, what you have to say. And I, I always love getting some East Coast guys out on as well, because I think it's important um, how has life been? Obviously, you had a very unique scenario uh, with you know committing to the bandits and then wondering if things were going to fly, and then you know kind of going through the bubble, and then you had a great run with what seemed to be a great group of guys. And how have you and your family and just in your personal life got through this you know kind of pandemic time? And, and uh, maybe what have you taken away from it—the positives or the negatives? I know you're a you're you're a driven guy. You know, I follow you know on all your social media platforms and I see and hear what you have to say. And and um, I know you're all about hard work and determination and, and you know, keeping your head down and getting after it. So just talk a little bit about the pandemic and how it's been for you and your family and, and your professional life.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, first of all, thank you for giving me the opportunity to kind of share my story because, you know, especially working for the Bandits lately uh, and being kind of back submersed in Canadian basketball which I haven't been for the last three or four years because I've been coaching overseas it's kind of opened my eyes again and I think I do have uh, I'm proud of I I have a unique path you know I didn't do what most Canadian coaches have done to get to the levels that they're at Um, I've kind of done I've kind of had a different path and I'm proud of that and and um, I think it's a good story because I think there's a lot of people uh, I think there's a lot of great coaches out there that don't get uh, the opportunities that they deserve in Canada, because there, there, there seems to be in Canada really only you know one kind of designated path to get to you know a university coaching job, or for that matter, now some of the pro opportunities. I went like a completely different direction, so I, I'm I'm proud of my story and I'm I'm excited to have an opportunity to tell it here. Um, but to get to get in to answer your questions and to talk, you know, specifically about. Uh, you know, the pandemic and, and and where we are today versus where I was when it first started, it was, it's been crazy. You know, um, we we I was in Taiwan coaching um, in the ASEAN Basketball League in the ABL, which is like a really high-level league over there in Asia, and we were doing really well. We were halfway through the season. We had won five of our, our – yeah, five of six games, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, the season was canceled, and then within like a week or two, I was home. And home for me is is Kitchener Waterloo area, and uh, I was home for with like nothing to do for the first time in years upon years. It, it was amazing, I, I and mean, everybody was kind of in that situation, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when the pandemic kind of first shut everything down, you know, when the NBA shut down, and you know, so on and so forth. So, I. Um, I immediately started working again on my, uh, what we call global blueprint basketball. That's our, our, that's our, uh, training business that, that I started many, many years ago. Um, we changed the name and I started working on that and doing the online stuff because I knew, you know, that was the best way for me to stay engaged. But prior to leaving, uh, Taiwan, uh, around December, I, I'd agreed to, uh, sign, sign on to coach and be the GM for the bandits. So for that whole kind of like after Christmas couple months up into March I was trying to build the team for the bandits and then when I got home here to Ontario in in uh, March after COVID hit I was like okay Nobody knew what was going to happen with the the CEBL. They were consistently talking about, you know, business as usual, business as usual. But I think people were really skeptical of it starting in May like it was supposed to and stuff. Right. So I jumped Mm -hmm. on the the online training stuff and, and started to submerse myself in that. And then my whole goal was to take the bandits organization and try and make it better. Whether there was a, a season or not, whether it was 20 games, 10 games, five games, or a tournament or whatever, my goal was to make that organization better. And we had already signed at that point a handful of guys. So immediately we started training them you know, online, mm-hmm. giving them aggressive programs, monitoring the programs. And then we would continue to sign guys you know, in hopes that there would be a CEBL. So then, you know, it turned into a tournament and a lot of the coaches in the C E B L and teams were talking about, well, you know, we're not going to necessarily get together with our guys, you know, whether it be online or not until we know, um, you know, until we know that w- what's going to actually happen. And I did the opposite. I was like, I told my guys, look, let's start meeting uh, on online on Zoom, you know, uh, twice a week. You guys are going to have six workouts a week to do. We'll monitor them. I'll, uh, we'll change them every two weeks. And uh, if there's no tournament, then at least I've got you better. At least you'll be in good shape. You know, um, if there is a tournament, then hopefully we'll have some toughness and some togetherness and we'll have some, you know, conditioning and some frameworks to what we want to do built. And we just kept doing that. And then other teams would sign guys. So when other teams would sign guys, we would build a scouting report on that guy. And then mm. that that next night or that. So we, we met Thursdays and Sunday nights on zoom. So every Sunday night we would do a new team. Okay. So here's who Hamilton signed. Let's talk about these guys. And then we'd have the video and so on. And next time was Guelph. And then the next time was Edmonton. And then, you know, and so really it was a great way to kind of kill the time and push through, you know, two meetings a week, workouts every, every other day or every day for that matter, you know, by the time, you know, a month or two went by, our guys were in good shape. Our guys were hungry and we had built some, some togetherness. Um, and then when the tournament happened, you know, it was an interesting experience for me because, um, you know, everybody picked us to be dead last, and I was pissed off about that. You know, I don't normally get, you know, I, I coach professionally. That was my was my seventh year. and So I've been around a lot of media, especially in Asia. You know, the basketball business is really, it's really big. And, and the media, the, the fan base, the following is huge. You know, we get hundreds of thousands of YouTube views of a game. Uh, you know, your fans go crazy over there when you lose or when you make a mistake. So I, I was pretty used to all that. But with the team that we had put together, um, with my experience and the success that I had in NBL Canada, i was surprised that we were shunned the way we were disrespected and so that was good for our meetings and that was good for our workouts and that was good for our fuel and by the time we got to uh the bubble in st Catharines, we were hungry man we were pissed off you know we played well uh we 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 lost some some players during the tournament to injury and other things but we played well and you know at the end of the day we, we went to the finals and so from you know to kind of tie all of this together from early march to uh you know august 9th when we had that um that final game man we worked you know it was interesting Mm -hmm. it it was a it was a kind of like a full season but not a full season and and our guys got better they worked we pushed them um and and i was really proud of the whole thing yeah
0: that's awesome i i think you know we have kind of a mixed bag of listeners we have some old hoop heads we have guys that are still kind of playing you sport and then we have some young people as well and then a lot of coaches so i think it's cool and important for them to hear just how that growth mindset and the ability to always find a way right there's especially with basketball sport like that there's always a way and that you used Um, you know, as a teacher going into September, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little anxious because, you know, to end the school year last year was survival mode. Like, let's be honest, we just wanted to get through it. Right now. It's like, how do we, how do we stay connected with our kids? How do we make sure we're getting what we can out of them? And that growth mindset in terms of like, okay, this is the situation we're dealing with. We can either let that dominate us or we can dominate it. Right. So I think that's super cool to hear. and, And it was awesome to follow. And I'm not gonna lie I didn't follow the bandits much last year but once yeah. I saw you on board and I, and I saw the unique thing and, and CBC picking that up I thought it was kind of cool and and I, I think you know another just proud moment for you um, you know on your in your coaching career because to be able to build culture online like that's a <laughs> it's a pretty unique thing right like how do you make that happen but at the same time credit to your guys like you got to have a bunch of guys that are willing to buy in and and be a part of it too right
1: yeah, so that, that's really well said, Aaron. You said two like, really interesting points to me. The, the first thing you said is there's always a way. And that, that's, been my, that's been my whole basketball career. That's been my coaching career. There, there's always a way. And, and some people just stop, right? I think, I think if, you really wanna, if you really set out to be the last man standing and you, you set out to be the last man standing with a positive attitude and you, you don't just say, okay, I'm going to find the way. You say, no, I'm going to attack the way. Like I'm gonna really, really go at I'm gonna find this this loophole. I'm gonna find this 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 crack. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna break it open and I'm gonna fight for it. I, I think you know only good things can happen. Like mm-hmm. only great things can happen when you do that, you know? And then you know, and then and then the next thing you said, you know, talking about uh, credit to our guys for playing the way they played or, or or sorry, wanting to work, you know, online that way. Well well that was the key, Aaron. So mm-hmm. when I set out to build the team. It was really interesting and, and this is the the best part of the bandit story that i can tell i, I love this this story because it was it was great for me so First of all, I would call these really high level talented guys that were in Ontario that I had worked with in the past because I used to have um, a very good strength, uh, sorry, not strength, but a skill and development business before I, I formally started coaching. I did about eight years of skill and development in the Toronto area. And we had over 75 kids get scholarships and all types of things. So I had I have really good relationships, you know, through that. So I started to call these kids um, high level guys that I knew really well. And I thought they would play for me, like, no doubt. I mean, one of them, one of them. For example, uh, when, we, when he was in high school, he did not have a con, uh, did not have a scholarship offer. He was a good high school player in Toronto, did not have a scholarship offer, worked out with me all the time. I believed in him. I physically drove him to a university in New York and got him a scholarship. And then now he's playing in the highest levels, Spain, ACB, German First League. And, and that, that's a true story. So I called the kid and he says, you know, Coach, I don't want to go to BC. I want to stay in Ontario. You know, they told me in Ontario – Uh, I don't have to come to practice every day. I can just kind of drive in and out and so on and so forth. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, then then you need to stay in Ontario because I'm not doing it like that. You know, we're we're going twice (laughs) a day, every day. We're grinding. We're working. So I think it's best that you stay in Ontario. Then I made another call to another kid. Same relationship, same same story. Nah, coach, you know, in Toronto, I can stay home. And on the weekends, we can go out and do these. I said, all right, you need to stay there too. So within about two or three phone calls, I said, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got to go for my dogs. Forget, forget these <laughs> these guys. I got to get my dogs, and so I started calling the guys that I knew would want to come to BC, that I knew would want to work twice a day. You know, and this is back, Aaron. I'm in Taiwan at this point, but this is back yeah. when COVID really wasn't a thing, right? So I, right. I was, and I'm like, okay. W- if i'm going to go to bc and coach and and this is what we talked about with the front office when they offered me the job is like i'm like you guys i'm not doing it like the teams in ontario do i'm not letting my guys drive in back and forth and hang out this isn't a fun thing we are going to grind we are going to try and win the whole thing and we're going to get better and if guys don't want to do that then then we won't get along anyways right and Mm -hmm. um so that's what we did so it was really funny because when we started training online the guys were working really hard and they were hard workouts. Like they were really hard workouts. And, you know, it was based on the time, right. So from in Ontario, from March till, till July, you have every type of weather you could imagine right? Yeah. And then, you know, the guys were out there in the snow, they were out there in the rain, you know, these were outside workouts because nothing was open at this point. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, a couple weeks before the tournament, I had access to a gym in Ontario and, you know, we did the social distancing workouts and stuff four guys at a time coming in and, 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 and it hit me like a ton of bricks, Kyle Johnson says to me, he says, you know, coach, I'm, you know, he's older now. And he says, you know, I feel real good, man. This is the best I felt in a long time. These workouts have been great. He says, you know, coach, I just don't think a lot of these other guys would actually do this stuff. And I said, I know Kyle, that's why I signed you guys. Cause I knew you would, you know, you would do this. And, you know, and, and sure enough, we, we just grinded every game because we were in solid shape. We did not by any means have the most talent. And that's not, that's not a knock on our guys. We just didn't. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we were able to make it to the finals with some of the best stats in the league, you know, best defensive team, uh, number one point differential, different things like that, that I was that I was really proud of because we had a fair amount of adversity. We lost some good players along the way to injury and stuff. So, yeah, having said all that is we found a way. And then we signed guys that we knew were self motivated hungry chip on their shoulder type dudes, and it was really, really fun, man, and when it comes to basketball in b c you know for me being an Ontario guy, you always hear that you know b c kids are different or they're this or they're that, or they're, there's not as many good players, there are some great players, but not as many and i you can I say love it. you can yeah, you could say and, it. we get I, the soft
0: we get the soft label
1: yeah, yeah, well, this is yeah. you know and and, yeah. and, and and i i um I'm not in the basketball scene like, like uh, across the country in that type of a mix. I'm just not. I'm, I, I've had blinders on doing my thing for a long time. But, but yeah, I, was, I feel like if the province and these elite guys can really see what the Bandits did this year, the way we did it, and how these guys are at a high level because they rely on their toughness and grit, and then and then they have great skill sets i just think you you'll you'll never go wrong with that approach as a player if that's what you really look to do and and i hope that some kids or maybe it's just one kid if it's only if it's only one it's still going to be a difference maker but i hope a bunch of kids really saw that because because we we brought that grind to the table and it was fun
0: yeah i think it was pretty evident for sure um great stuff just a couple things one i think i was like one of your first ever Braveheart basketball followers. So I'm I'm oh, on really? that train. Yeah oh yeah, yeah. represent. yeah, you See, got yeah. It. so
1: Braveheart is it is global blueprint, right? Yeah. It's 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 yeah. just we just kinda changed the name as times are changing and we were going through, you know, different things at the time in our lives. But yeah, it's same same deal, man.
0: And then before we just jump into you as a young guy in Thunder Bay, like if you don't mind just take a minute and talk about um, a name that we would all be familiar with, at least out here, is Merrick Claassen. How was it coaching him, and and what was it like to to work with him? As a, you know, because we saw him as a high school player, he's now a pro player. But uh, how was your relationship, and how did that go? If you if yeah, you want to talk about it,
1: yeah, no, I'd love to. Yeah, no, I, I felt I'll, I'll just You know, I kind of felt bad for Merrick because Merrick was the only guy that hadn't played for me. Right, so when when I when I talk about guys that I knew were you know grinders and what we call in our terminology a dog, you know, just relentless work ethic type guys, uh, Merrick was the only one that that kind of wasn't in that circle. And then I brought mm-hmm. Merrick off the bench, which I don't think he's totally nor- um which he's to- was totally used to doing and everything mm-hmm. happened so fast, right? Like, you know, in a real professional season, you're going to have 2 months of preseason where you sit down with guys, you talk about coming off the bench, you play a few preseason games in that, okay, it doesn't work, all right, we'll start them or vice versa. You know, you go through yeah. all that stuff. We we had none of that here in this tournament whatsoever. So I would just have the conversations with guys, "Hey, I think this is going to be best for our team if you come off the bench. I think this is going to be best for our team if this guy starts. But the, the beauty about Merrick was, you know, it never changed his energy. He, he played his tail off the whole time. He's really hard-nosed. And and at the end of the day, 90% of the end of games he was on, and he was a major contributor for us. But I, I just mm-hmm. think it was a tough go for Merrick in the sense that, you know, we didn't he, he needed that preseason in my system. He didn't get it. Uh, he didn't know me like the guy's the other guys knew me and stuff, but, but he was huge for us. And I really felt confident having him come off the bench in most cases, I just felt like it was a huge spark. Um, and then I was, I was impressed with his defense. You know, a lot of people mm. had told me before that might be one of his weaknesses, but to me, defense, you know, there's, there's guarding positions uh, the ability to guard a position. There's your, your, you know, your defensive uh, tangibles that you possess, you know, physicals or whatever, but then there's just heart and effort and toughness and Merrick had that, like he, he, he turned the ball in the back court. He, he would fight through screens. He he got nasty trying to rebound and box guys out. So I think Merrick, Merrick just fit the bill, man. And, uh, mm-hmm. he played big for us and he was a huge piece to our success. It's
0: awesome. Thanks for that. Yeah. it's Cool. And I just like listening to you talk, think about what a unique coaching experience it must've been just to literally be learning on the fly with your guys. Now, you know, you know, your guys, but still it's like, all right, let's, now it's compete time, you know, so just such a unique thing. And when you think, just when you think you're settled into basketball, you've got a routine, you get thrown that. And with COVID yeah. and, you know, I think it says a lot for people just to learn that you've got to be able to adjust to, you know, the surroundings. So that's great. Thanks yeah, yeah. That. It
1: was totally Yeah, totally different uh from anything that i experienced and 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 i had done a few world tournaments i actually coached in two major world tournaments in the last couple summers you know i played on the national team for one summer i did some big tournaments and the student national team i did the the world university games but it Mm -hmm. was just like yeah okay the tournament itself was similar but but the covid and the stress and then being being locked in that hotel for you know almost six weeks five weeks was a grind it was tough man yeah it was tough yeah
0: for sure yeah thanks for that So, yeah, let's just throw it back to young KJ here. I'm assuming, mm-hmm. you know, growing up where you did, hockey was probably a little bit a part of your life. Now, if I'm making a wrong assumption, just slap me around and let me know. But what what sports were you involved in? And, and I know your dad was a huge part of your life um, basketball wise. But um, before you kind of got the hooks in for basketball, were you just a multi-sport athlete? Did you kind of do everything or did you just was it just basketball right from the get go?
1: No, no, in in my house, you're, you know the the hockey the hockey assumption is is extremely accurate. Uh, my my parents are hockey fans, and uh, in Thunder Bay, you know you play on the outdoor rinks for you know over six months of the year you can play outside, yeah. and 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 back then we played like from 4 p.m. after school till 10 p.m. every day, you know, we we were on the rinks all the time. And um, yeah, hockey was my first love. And I still love it. I still think it's the best sport in the world, to be honest. I I really do. I, I love hockey. And to me, hockey is the absolute best kind of comparison and analogy for coaching in basketball. Um, because I think the problem with the game of basketball is that, you know, the individual aspects of the game are, you know, they're prioritized, they're emphasized, they're, the, you know, it's really all that you see all the time. You know, social media has, has you know, expanded that, you know, greatly. And I think in hockey where like an assist is worth the same as a goal, I think is the ultimate you know, um, you know, it, it's the ultimate in coaching. And then at the mm. same time, you know, at a young age playing hockey, the thing that I loved about hockey is and, and I bring it into my coaching and I brought it into the way I played is was the physicality and, and the fighting and protecting your teammates. Like nobody touches, you know, your teammates it just doesn't happen. You just do not allow that. Nobody touches your goalie. Right. Nobody says anything mm. to one of your guys. I, I just I just loved it. And, um, it was kind of, it was that whole approach was ingrained in me and that's how I coach like, and, Mm -hmm. and, 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 and that's, that's what I love about coaching is if you can find a way to build an atmosphere, uh, where guys just literally want to protect each other, guys are willing to, you know, jump in front of a slap shot for another guy right you know guys are willing to hurt themselves for the greater good of the team and sacrifice like hockey players kind of do uh, play hurt play tired you know all that stuff I I I just think if you can create that on the basketball court uh, only good things will happen And, and to me that's the funnest part of coaching and being around the game is finding a way to get create that togetherness and once you have that It's a, it's addicting. It's, it's the best. And, uh, yeah, that, that's what hockey was for me. I played triple a. Um, and when I turned 13 or 14, you know, you couldn't do both. Uh, basketball to me was, I fell in love with the thing I fell in love with about basketball was you couldn't do this in hockey. You could not go to the rinks necessarily beside by yourself and work on your game. Like you just couldn't do that in hockey at the time. If you went to the other rinks, you would never get it by yourself. And, uh, but, but my dad was a university basketball coach at Lakehead and Thunder Bay, and, uh, he had the keys to the gym. And so... Uh, around the seventh and eighth grade, I really fell in love with just working on my game by myself, just going to the gym and just shooting and shooting and shooting. And then I would be around university players and those guys would co- we'd work out together. And by the time I was in the 10th or 11th grade, I was a pretty good basketball player. I was playing with university players every day and just fully addicted to working out uh, and, and shooting and ball handling and doing all that stuff by myself. And so um, growing up in a small town where basketball was not like popular I did have a reputation at a young age of like supposed to be this good player. Cause I was always in the gym. And so I wanted to protect that reputation. And so like, I just, I just fought for it. Like I, I would work on my game all the time. I, you know, I mean, when I was in high school, I would go to the, to the gym in the mornings. Uh, I would shoot at lunchtime. We had practice after school and then I would go to my dad's practice at night, seven days a week. Um, mm-hmm. I would go to the gym three and four times a day. I remember on a March break, on a Monday of the March break in the tenth grade, I made a thousand threes, and <laughs> I was sick for the rest of the March break. I literally shot until I couldn't move. I like I had like dehydrated myself, and you know st- just stuff like that. I just loved working on my game. And uh, Thunder Bay, even though it was a terrible basketball city at the time, as far as you know, just producing basketball players or, or opportunities, it was the best place for me to be a basketball player because I just worked on my game. And I just had, Mm -hmm. I had the gym all the time and I was around university players. And I think Aaron, that's the biggest mistake that all these young kids are making nowadays. A, they don't play enough and B, they don't play with older players. It's all these trainers and camps and uh, clubs and this, this, that, and the other where, you know, I tell people all the time, I I got a division one scholarship. I had 11 Division One scholarship offers. I came from a small town where nobody played basketball. I didn't play my first real basketball game till the ninth grade. No Twitter, no scouting services, no YouTube, no nothing. And I got a college scholarship because I just worked, right?
0: You know? And I, you, you stole my next question, but I think it's a great that you just organically came up with it because it's it's a huge thing that we we're you know being a high school coach, fourteen years into it, um, well sixteen, but at the senior level, fourteen, and just trying to have our kids step out of that comfort zone and not always just compete against each other. Like that's just go yeah. to the community center, pay your two dollar yeah. drop in, and play some thirty
1: five yep. year old man. You know, like just yeah. yeah, No, we. I that's how I that's how I did it, man. I I literally would play with university players when i was in the eighth grade and i remember the summers going by where like the first summer i started doing it i couldn't even get my shot off okay to the right. next summer i would make one until the summer after that i'm making a couple and then the summer after that 10th 11th grade i was scoring every basket in the game you know, up to seven or up to 11. And we would do it day in and day out for three hours. If there was only four guys, we played two on two. If there was eight, we played four on four. If there was 10, we played fives. If there were six, we played threes. We just played and played and played. And then I would come early and shoot and stay late and shoot. I just don't think enough people do enough players do that nowadays at all. Like at all, at, at, at all kinds of levels, you know. Um, I think, I think that's like the missing ingredient to a lot of these, uh, to a lot of these, the, the, the journey to a lot of these kids that want to get to those levels. I think that's one of the missing ingredients.
0: Yeah, no, that's great stuff. You know, I, it throws me back to my life too. You know, I had the only flat driveway in the neighborhood and had, you know, there was a bunch of dudes that played at the local high school that were five, six years older than me. And if they wanted to play on our hoop. Then I, they called me Weenie because I was the little dude. And it was yeah, like, yeah, Weenie's yeah. got to play, right? So that's the yeah. only way you want to play on the Mitchell's court. I get to play and so does my brother. And we might yeah. lose, but yeah. we're, in, we're in the mix, right? And it just, yeah, yeah, yeah. they yeah. don't take it easy on you, you know? And the same kind of story like a Scotty Morrison, right? His dad a coach and just spent his whole time around older dudes and just seeing how they acted. And, and, and just, you know, even when you're not physically playing, just watching you're taking it in and you're learning, right? Like you're, you're soaking it in. So that's great stuff. At at what point, you know, you like, you're mentioning being in Thunder Bay, no, you know, there's no, you're, you're a 79 er I'm a 77 er so we're, we're not far in age, but just not, you know, when did you think to yourself, like division one basketball is something that I want, or did it start to sort of come to you or did you have to go get it a bit of both? Like talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So that's a really cool question because, um, so in, in Thunder Bay at the time, I, I grew up with 14 kids that played in the NHL 12. Oh, wow. no, yeah, tw- yeah. 12. Yeah. Almost 14, 13 kids that had at some point played in the NHL and my high school class we had four or five kids that played Division One hockey, so they went to the NHL through the D run route, right? right. Um, you might recognize Pat, the name Patrick Sharp, Chris Sharp. So Chris Sharp was my age, Patrick Sharp, who played for Chicago forever, who's now doing like commentating and stuff for yep. uh, TSN and, and different networks now for the NHL. But so, so they went to. Um, where did those guys go? Uh, North Dakota state. Some went, um, different schools in the U S and, uh, and so the ninth and 10th grade, these kids are already playing junior hockey now. So these were like my best buddies. And that was another reason why I would just go to the gym alone. Cause my, like, circle of friends my close friends were hockey players and like it was funny you know like you know kids go their separate ways in university right you go to this school i go to that school and we see each other in the summers that was happening in thunder bay in the ninth tenth grade with with all my hockey friends because they were all going to play on you know junior hockey in the ohl and so they'd be going to belleville or barry or the sioux or these different places and when they were coming back in the summers you know everyone was talking about i got this scholarship offer i got that scholarship offer i was like damn i want one of those you know and and i mean in, in my house we you know we watched grew up watching college basketball my dad would always have it on whenever it was on so a division one scholarship was always a big thing but it was probably around the ninth or tenth grade that i that i had a feel that i would be good enough um to get Mm -hmm. one and so um you know we worked and worked and and by the time i was in my 12th grade um you know, at that time they had a grade 13 in high school, right? And um, so for my grade 13, I came to, I moved to Hamilton, you know, I was 17, 18 years old. I moved by myself to Hamilton, Ontario. I stayed with friends of my parents and I went to like a high school called Cathedral High School, which was like an unbelievable high school for basketball that constantly had division one, um, scholarship offers like constantly. And their head coach, Mark Walton, who's still to this day, like one of the best coaches I've ever played for, even been around was close to my dad. And, um, so I went there and, uh, it was a crazy story too. That, that year we were on it. We had six guys get division one scholarships and one kid played uh, U sports that following year. So that high school was like a regular Catholic high school in the city, but like by all means today would have been like an elite prep, prep school. Hey, like prep schools don't even have seven, six, seven scholarships, but uh, six <laughs> of us went, went D one from that school. We went something like 38 and O in Canada. And um, that was a really good year for me because the, the, the level of play was high. It got me ready for uh, division one basketball. It really did. Like the guys were tough. You know, we, we'd go play at the Y against older guys when we weren't at high school practicing. And we'd go to McMaster university and play against the Mac guys all the time and, and get into it with those guys and stuff. So yeah, that, so when I, around the ninth, tenth grade, when I knew I had a chance, my dad put a plan together for me to to move out uh, my last year of high school, which I did, and it was great because by the end of it, I ended up having you know multiple scholarship offers, and I, I chose to go to Furman University in South Carolina, which was a which it actually has been really good mid major program the last couple of years, but it was it was a good uh, experience for me because it was a good mid major school at the time, but we had a great we had great schedules, you know, we played Florida's and Georgia's and, you know, Vanderbilt and Northwestern and, you know, these big 10 schools and Minnesota and different schools when I was there. So it was a cool experience coming from Thunder Bay.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, That's, I mean, love the, love the story about just making the sacrifice and taking the risk. I mean, although, you know, some of your buddies, you mentioned you'd seen them already take that path and kind of move on and go play in the OHL and stuff like that. But, you know, not an easy thing to do, even though you're grade 13, you know, it's, uncomfortable to you know step out of that comfort zone but if you don't do that you can't really grow and you never know if that opportunity comes right so how how and why did you decide on on uh, Furman like was it just because it was mid-major and you felt like you'd be able to contribute a little bit more or was that kind of the pocket that was recruiting you at that time and and then just talk about what that experience was like when you first got on campus you know a boy from Thunder Bay Um, now down in South Carolina and and how that whole experience went for you.
1: Going D one and moving away from home uh, at that time to me was no big deal because, like I said, like my close close circle of friends had already done it for the OHL. So, like amongst yeah. our parents and amongst our friends, friends and our circles in Thunder Bay, that was like a normal thing to do. But I was so hungry, Aaron. Like I loved mm-hmm. the game so much, man. Like mm-hmm. I can't even. I don't even know how to. You know, I, I slept with a basketball. You know, I wrote everything down every night. Um, have you? you know, have I you ever? Fight. Have you written a book? Sorry to cut no, you off. Have no, you written, no, have you thought about I it? I haven't written a book. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I have some funny stories. Like, you know, I'm giving yeah. you the Coles notes to everything, but there are some yeah. pretty funny stories and some, some interesting <laughs> things in there. I, I think I could, I probably would have a pretty good one when it was all, when it's all said and done for, for sure. sure.
0: And combine that with just like, like Corbin and I are just sitting here. Our producer just like just like your mentality and like I know Doug's obviously shared a lot about you with me and stuff, but just yeah, you know you can you can yeah. just hear it in your voice and like your your mental fortitude and like your ability. Like you're just a grinder. It's it's awesome. I'm just sitting here sipping my coffee, soaking it in. But anyways, I didn't mean to cut yeah, you off. It, I just thought no no no, you know, thank you, you. Thank you yeah. should think about that. Is it's uh, you know and just from the mental side of things and the ability to like. I mean, how, like you said, how many guys from Thunder Bay grew up playing basketball at your and, you know, around your time and had the ability to fight through it and work and work? Like, where does that come from? How did you grow and how do you continue to hand that off yeah. to guys that you're coaching? Right. So, anyways, so I just it's good stuff, man. I'm yeah. loving it.
1: No, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was the funny thing too. Like in Thunder Bay, um, there had like we had like I said a ton of hockey success. Like every summer, it seemed like somebody would bring the NHL Stanley Cup back. You know, you know, how, you know how every player gets it for a weekend or whatever when they yeah. win the cup. It seemed like every summer it was in it was in Thunder Bay, and we were going to somebody's cottage or we, they call them camps. We'd go to somebody's camp, and, and the the cup would be there and, and stuff like that. Somebody's older brother or or whatever. So that whole mentality, you know, I just have such a an appreciation for hockey and the sport and the players. I just think they're tough, man. Like mm-hmm. obviously, you see the like you see the the surface toughness, but I grew up mm-hmm. with these guys, man. Like they're tough. And, and that's, and that's kind of like what was ingrained in me early, right? Like that was my environment was just, you know, you fight and I, I used to, I was, I used to get into fist fights all the time at school, playing <laughs> basketball. And, and it was nothing like, cause the hockey players would be fighting all the time. And, and so when it came to getting my scholarship, um, at that time in Canada, I, th- I remember seven, there might've been a few more, but now you're getting like 70 a year, but there was only <laughs> seven to 10 that 1998 at that time and um i chose Furman specifically because i liked the coach larry davis he was tough man he was hard-nosed and you know i had a couple other offers um actually funny story is i had an offer to go to niagara and jack armstrong you know the commentator for yep. um the raptors right was the coach at what the time and you know <laughs> at, yeah, yeah at the university of niagara. <laughs> and i remember and so he So we spoke on the phone, and I thought Niagara would be a good situation. Again, mid-major school, and it was only, you know, an hour from Hamilton where I had now a lot of friends and, uh, you know, easy access. And uh, he got fired uh, on my way to the visit. (laughs) So, you know, <laughs> but we we get there and the, you know, there's no cell phones or it wasn't a lot, there wasn't cell phone access like that at the time, 1998. And I remember getting there and the, the friend of my my dad's, the guy who has family who I was living with, the Bartolotta's, greatest people ever. They they uh, there was uh, Dave was driving me and 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 we get there and there's no more visit, no no more nothing to look at because there's no more coach. So that's my uh, that was a funny that was my Jack Armstrong story. I, I, I bumped into him a few times since around the Raptors and I and he remembered me and he told him I was had a good laugh so uh but no I I chose Furman because I liked the conference it was a really good conference College of Charleston at the time was really good Davidson at the time uh, UT UT Chattanooga there there was good schools in there and uh uh, Furman was a private liberal arts school so the academics were good it was a small school it was in the south I had a golf course on campus and I used to like to golf at that time and so it was a it was a good it was a good setup um the best thing about it was we had three gyms and they gave me my own key to one of the gyms and that's that's like what sold me i got to go in there you know all, all the time and so i actually i actually in my whole basketball journey um this is the the toughest part of my whole journey to talk about but it's probably one of the most rewarding and it's been the most enlightening was i had two really good years at Furman. i was 19 years old when i started there i was super cocky I was, uh, you know, super aggressive. Um, I remember the first two weeks in practice, the seniors were punking the rookies, the freshmen. They, we had five of us coming in. I got no love coming in. The other four freshmen coming in, got all types. Of the, one of them was a top 100 recruit in the state. Got all types of publicity and love, and every. And I got one sentence on the program. But by the end of that year, I ended up being the only one. I, I, I made the all-rookie team. So I, I tell mm. that part of the story because I actually like the all rookie team in the conference. I was top five rookies. I actually tell that part of the story because I did have a lot of success the first year. I really fought for you know I really fought and, and earned what I got. I ended up starting sixteen of twenty six games. Um, had multiple you know twenty point games. I, I was a shooter, you know, a catch and shoot guy. I could put it on the deck a little bit, but I had some, I got hot, and then um, in between my first and second year, I. Um, I don't know. I, I thought that I deserved to be this like really good player because I won an award that year. Uh, I had some, you know, attention. I started a bunch of games and the coaching staff, like every division one coaching staff does, they, they go back in the summer and they, they want to upgrade. We, we had a relatively successful year. I think we were middle of the pack, but they upgraded. They upgraded everywhere and they brought in three or four European kids, actually, that were a little bit older. And they were very experienced. And, you know, me now looking back, I realized they were really good players. Well, I didn't like it. And so right from the start of my second year, I just I didn't have a great attitude. I was probably for the most part, I probably became a bit of that uncoachable player that I that I don't like, uh, you know, dealing with now. And um, I put up the same type of numbers I put up my first year, but my attitude wasn't great. And because I was cocky and because I thought that just because I worked hard, I deserved more, I decided to transfer. And in my basketball career, um, and when I look back now, I honestly, I regret it. It's my number one regret. And, you know, and people say you shouldn't have regrets and so on and so forth. And it did, it did shape who I wanted to be. And it did shape the, the man that I've become. There's no question about it, but I do regret not sticking it out there. I do regret not finding a way to flourish in my role at the time. And I do regret kind of the way I carried myself in the process. Coach Davis and I, we have a great relationship. We, we still talk now. He, he went on to much bigger and better things in the NCAA and had a lot of success at Cincinnati and different places. But I So in, in my process for in, within transferring after the season, like I never left in the middle of the season or anything like that. I finished the second year. But in the process, I had a bunch of other offers, and I decided, you know, I thought that it would be best for me to play in Canada at the time. Um, I felt like playing in U Sports at the time. See, my ultimate goal, Aaron, was always to make the Canadian national team that was always my, that was always my ultimate goal. It was never to play in the NBA. Um, And I think that came from hockey where in hockey, like the ultimate for a Canadian hockey player is to play for team Canada. Right. Like that is the ultimate. And I, yeah. And, and it's not in basketball. Right. And I've always said it's too bad the basketball players didn't look at the national team the way Sidney Crosby does or some of these other guys. Right. Like, um, you know, there's there's no Canadian basketball player other than Steve Nash, who's comparable to the NBA as Crosby is to to the NHL. And you, you see you see every every offseason two days after Crosby's last game, he's playing for Team Canada in some tournament somewhere like in Russia yeah. or Belarus or, or somewhere like you know and that's how I was raised on the national team and mm-hmm. um, so that was always my ultimate goal so coming back to Canada leaving D1 I was like all right I think to play in Canada and be a bigger fish in a small pond might help my chances of making the national team but it was a mistake right because to make the national team and to play at those levels you need to be excellent in a role okay like I and, but I didn't really look at the game properly at that way at the time Right. I just didn't. You know, you're young and you think scoring 25 a night is what's going to get you on a national team. It's not, you know, it's not going to get you to those highest levels. You know, executing your role, being a great teammate, you know, defending first and foremost. That's what gets you to those types of levels. Um, And so, you know, I played at the University of Guelph for three years. I had lots and lots of individual success. But I tell people it was the worst three years of my whole basketball life. I was literally miserable at Guelph. Um, the coach, Coach O'Rourke, was a good guy, but winning wasn't a priority. My my teammates w- much rather party on Saturday night, for the most part. I had I had a Mike Ian Baggio and Roddy Knapp. I had some really good teammates, Taylor Brown, uh, some guys that really cared. But for in general, these guys all paid to go to school, right? And they, they weren't there because they wanted to be professional players or get to the next level to play in the national team. They were there because it was something to do. At the time, there was no athletic scholarships. There wasn't anything in Canada and Ontario at that time, early 2000s. Yeah. You know, uh, to, to, so these guys, you know, I, I would fight with my teammates. I'd you know, say, hey, you got to stay after practice. you got to work on your shot. we got to do this. we got to play more. We, gotta, we need more practice. I, I'll, I remember one of our first losses to the worst team in the league at the time was Windsor on a Saturday night, and we got the next day off. You know, I just didn't understand that, you know, coming from a high level division one school where we, we, we fought yeah. and got after it day in and day out, you know, where they kick your butt for losing. Uh, I could not relate to that. And so the, the, the three years at Guelph, you know, we went to the national final, we were in top 10 in the country. I, I, I think I was an all Canadian one of the years, but I was miserable, man. But what it did do was it really, truly shaped my coaching career Um it really, it really emphasized what's truly important to me from the way I carried myself, how I want my players to carry themselves, to like I learned about you know, how to build a winning team by playing for a losing team. A lot of, a lot of what I do in my coaching comes from those couple years at, uh, in U Sports, and more so than probably anywhere else. And, and the reason is because we lost a lot, and, and I got a chance to really look at why we were losing. Right. And as a coach, there's there's just certain things you don't have. You don't have to be a great coach and do everything directed at winning. But if you if you can figure out like these pitfalls that will guarantee losses and if you can avoid them and consistently stay away from them, consistently avoid doing those things that hurt, um, you, you, you'll, you'll find a way to have success. And, and so I look at those three years, my experience there you know, closely. Um, and then, then I got a contract. Of,
0: yeah. No, just that perspective of, like, we, we get so caught up in focusing on how do we win as opposed to right. looking at how do we avoid losing and what are the things that are happening within the game that are causing us to lose, right? I just never really heard it framed that way. I know probably some yeah, people no, think that's... that way or view, but just we get, you know, we we think of the end result as a win or a loss, but, you know, we don't flip it over and look at the other side of it. Like, that's...
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a maze, right? Coaching is a maze, right? There's no direct line, and you're going to run into some dead ends all the time, right? So let's say you run into these dead ends, but you. I think the good coaches don't run into the same dead end twice. Like they don't make those same mistakes twice. Right. And, and I think there's Mm -hmm. like, there's micro mistakes and you get through them and you learn, but then there's these like macro mistakes, right? There's these huge things that happen. For example, I'll give you a macro mistake on a team. Okay. So Mm -hmm. you get into training camp and you know, you, So I have what's called 20 steps uh, to success. When I was in the ninth grade, I started writing in a journal, right? So every night I wrote in a journal, what went well today, what I wanted to do tomorrow, why I'm playing well, why I'm playing bad. My whole life, I have a hundred notebooks like stacked to the roof in in certain places. And then when I got my first coaching job, I wanted to take all that info and I wanted to put it into one thing. So I put it into this thing. It ended up being like 150 keys to winning. Well, I wasn't going to give that to my players. No one's going to read 150 keys. So I turned it to 50. Then I eventually turned it to 20. And I operate on these 20 steps. And I recruit from these 20 steps. I'm like, is he a 20 step guy or not? Like I know right away, right? Do you and, sleep? And, and, Do you sleep? Nah, man. Nah, nah. <laughs> no, man. No, no. No, just work. <laughs> no. So, so from the 20 steps, I'm on a roll now. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it going. So, so from these 20 steps, a lot of the stuff came from what didn't go well. So I, I so I. I would be writing in my journal at night and it's like, yeah, I played well because of this, but man, I don't, I played here. I played poorly here. I don't want to do that again. Right. Or we yeah. lost this game that we should never have lost. But look, we, two days before we, we didn't watch film. We, we had a light practice. You know, I was learning on why we were losing. Right. Yeah. So back to my point, you know, the macro mistake, you get into training camp. Right. And so I have my 20 steps and I I read the 20 steps out to the guys. But if you don't live by those 20 steps every day, these kids nowadays are going to recognize it every single time like every single time. So the biggest macro mistake that coaches make is they actually don't carry themselves the way they want their players to carry themselves. They don't actually do the things or live the truths that they're trying to tell. I think that's like the most macro mistake any coach can make. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I think what happens is when you make these particular, whether they be small or large promises to players, players remember everything. Mm -hmm. They remember everything. So my first year at University of Guelph, when I was recruited, I was told I was going to be the captain. OK, so the very first game, I find out I'm not the captain. Right. And so now I'm, you know, I'm in my first year at university like that for me at that age was tough to get over. Like that was like there was like a trust thing, like that whole thing was tough, tough to get through. And I talked about it with, with coach. Eventually we went, we, you know, we finally did get through it because we ended up did having a fair amount of success. But my point is when you say something to a kid, if you really don't follow through with that, it's going to be really difficult. So, so that's just a, that's just an example of kind of like what I learned at that time there and, and how I've applied it to coaching now. So I really work hard on not promising anything to anyone ever. Uh, because kids nowadays remember everything, so then you try and create this earned culture, right? This this earned culture versus this like entitled, deserved culture. And then as a coach, I try to earn. I try to explain where I make my mistakes. I I, I try to show them how hard I'm working. I you know I, I had a conversation with a big time basketball mind a couple months ago, and I asked him. I said, Do you think players? Uh, do you think it matters to players if a coach works hard or not? and the guy told me right away he said no you know players don't really recognize they don't really see that um this is a he's youth a, a sports coach um and i said i said man i i disagree one million percent i think the kids mm-hmm. nowadays they see everything they see mm-hmm. everything and they see right through everything and so you know, leaving my Division One scholarship and playing in Canada and kind of going through that misery for a couple of years it really shaped uh, the coach I am now. And I wrote it, I wrote about it every night. I wrote it down every night. I have, you know, it's all logged away. And so I, I've really learned um, in, my, in, in my philosophy, that, you know, playing in Canada versus playing D1 at that time, the differences, why it's different. And I really think it's the reason why in Canada right now, I really, this is a whole other conversation, but I think it's why the same team wins. You know 15 Mm -hmm. national championships out of 18 or whatever Mm -hmm. it is 14 out of Mm -hmm. 16 i don't know but i really think it's the same it's the same reason there's very few teams um in the world there's very few new sports teams division one teams that have cultures where the players truly trust the coach and believe in the coach's work ethic and i think that's try try how i try and kind of live my life
0: Good Lad Clothing is the most unique shopping experience in the Lower Mainland. The owner, Shane Meyer, has worked hard to create a personal experience, offering clothing, specialized coffee, haircuts, and beard trims. Located in Lower Lonsdale at 221 West Esplanade in North Vancouver, seconds from the C bus. If you are unable to make it to the store, you can shop online at shopthefoldgroup.com. And oh yeah, in store, if you mention a hoops journey, you'll receive 15% off anything store wide. We want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Parkside Brewery. Located in the heart of Port Moody on Brewers Row, Parkside offers an amazing atmosphere with one of the best summer patios around. If you can't make it to the brewery located at 2731 Murray Street, then hit any government retail store and try the Don Pilsner the Dusk Pale Ale or my favourite, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. A Hoops Journey promises that the beer at Parkside is much, much, much better than the owner Sam Payne's Streaky Jump Shot. We hope to see you Parkside. man <laughs> so many good things in there and and um yeah, like we had just the power of being able to write things down, like doing this podcast has made me kind of question myself. And now I'm going to be able to learn and grow not only as a coach, but as a father, as a husband, you know, in so many different ways. And so many people we've interviewed the power of writing things down. Like we had Tim McAuliffe as our last guest. And during COVID, he just started writing quotes. He's a huge quote guy. He just rips off quotes yeah. from people, right? And that's his thing. Yeah. But he had them yeah. written all over his basement just to kind of inspire him and motivate him. And just so there's that. And then reflecting as you're talking just thinking about myself as a young coach and how i was so focused on winning but i was not focused on the process of winning so right right. and 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 i played i played at langara i was an all canadian i played at brandon university you know like i did i didn't you know i didn't just get cut at the junior team and be done like i saw some levels and played but but overlooked all that when i became a coach i was like full of piss and vinegar and thought well if we don't win every you know 80 percent of our games then i realized man these kids one one might even move on so if we don't have a culture and if i ask them to be at a game an hour before the game and i show up 50 minutes before the game but i'm gonna bench the kid the starter who shows up late what does that you know and like just so many different things that I, i totally agree i think also that comes with you know obviously for you you're pretty comfortable in your skin at a young age but as a young coach it takes time to get comfortable in your own skin and to be just as accountable for yourself as you, as you expect the kids to be accountable for themselves. I think that's some amazing stuff right there that you just said, like, wow, that's. Like oh
1: yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, Aaron, the, the my first couple of years coaching, I, my first head coaching job was a professional team, right? I didn't, I right. was never in this. <laughs> and that, that's what, what, you know, as we kind of close here, I'll kind of give you my coaching lineage and why I think it's a, it's a fun story to tell because yeah, I think, I think so many coaches, it, especially in, in Canada, they think they think that they have to take a specific path. Right. And right. I, I did not take yeah. that, that path. That's kind of laid out. So we could, I can, whenever yeah. we're ready to close, I'll, I'll kind of nope. close with that. But, but what I will say is my, my first coaching job, my first couple of years, I made a ton of mistakes all the time because I was so <laughs> focused on win on winning. Right. And just like you, just like you were saying, but you know, as I went through the wins and losses and as I kind of, um, you know, went back to my journals and went back to my playing experiences in these different places, the, the, the most success that I've ever had was process driven stuff, uh, as a coach, right. just, just skill and development, making sure that the guys trust me, uh, making sure that I have players that I can trust, making sure that there's no elephant in the room ever. And if there is, it's the first thing we attack all the time. Um, I think that's, that's when I started to, 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 to grow more as a coach. I think that the Mm -hmm. the key to coaching, um, you know, aside from what, you know, aside from your approach, which we've all discussed, you know, you, you know, and when when we say, when we talk about avoiding losing, it's not Mm -hmm. avoiding losing, like playing to lose, like we're focusing on losing. No, no, no. It's, it's called environmental awareness, right? It's fully understanding what will lead you to winning and what will lead you to losing. It's fully understanding. Like, like I I can see it right now when I recruit kids. I can go on a guy's social media page right now and tell you if he's a winner or a loser, just about right away. You know, and it just comes from my experience and and playing. Like, you you could just tell right away. And and there's guys that'll give you an answer. There's, you know, you take a a tough kid versus a weak kid. You ask the same question, it's complete opposite answers. Like every Mm -hmm. time, right? And so when you recruit enough, and you've done, and you've been around enough guys, you you can kind of know um you know which way to go and how to again steer away from those potholes right those losing potholes avoid them on the road right and keep going down the path you want to go right um it's not about slowing down and okay this is we, we don't want to lose so we're not going to do this no it has nothing to do with that but it's about environmental awareness self-awareness <clears throat> understanding what works and what doesn't and understanding what losers do versus what uh, winners have done right
0: Mm-hmm. yeah awesome man and it yeah like i definitely want to go down your your coaching lineage um but you know i've talked to a few people about you behind your back sorry um (laughs) but just a lot of people have said you know kj is the best Canadian coach that's not in the NBA right now. And I know you're a humble dude and you'll just sit there and take that. But I've heard that from more than one person. Um, And I think, uh, like you've mentioned, because your path hasn't been kind of through the Canadian scene, people don't even know the experiences you've had, which is why we want to touch on it. But before we get into that, you have to tell me a little bit, Mm -hmm. if you don't mind, about playing with a certain uh, Chris Jackson, a.k.a. Mahmoud Abdul oh, yeah. Rauf, is this true? Oh,
1: yeah, wow, yeah, man. So that was my um, my first year in Italy overseas. I took a job, uh, a great story too, because I took a job for money, which you should never do as a rookie. So here's my lesson to all the right. kids coming out of university: uh, do not take that money job first. Like you can't. Mm. You've got to go and submerge yourself and play in an environment where you're going to play a lot and where the coach really wants you right? Uh, Doesn't need you, but wants you. Huge difference Mm. at the pro level okay um, because coaches need guys to fill roster spots coaches need guys to you know uh, be able to fill a void in practice coaches need guys to do certain things and they'll sign players because of that especially good coaches when they really know you know okay uh, this group is eight eight or nine deep i've spent 90 percent of my salary cap on my eight or nine guys i'm going to spend the next 10 percent on guys i don't really need but they'll be good practice players so that, that's what the coach did the coach was an unbelievable coach he, he was at the time the croatian national team coach Evan He's, he's since worked in the NBA and stuff. And, and he recruited me because I had an Italian passport. My mother's Italian. So I had an Italian passport. He recruited me as like a local player. Um, and the money was really good at the time in Italy. This was the first division 2004. It was like really good money. And so, you know, I, I jumped at it. My agent obviously wanted me to sign because he gets, you know, 10% of that. Right. So, um, (laughs) I go to this team that is like full of ex NBA players, full of like high level European guys. And I was the only rookie, actually a guy named Patrick Matumbo, who's one of the second assistants for the Raptors now was playing. I played with at the time. He's uh, he, he, he was uh, from Belgium. Um, anyways, <clears throat> all of a sudden they, they, uh, they want to sign a two guard and uh, they bring in Mahmoud Abdul rauf And it was crazy for me at the time, because my dad used to love him. And we had a picture of him on one of the walls in our basement on a uh, sports Illustrated at, at LSU. So that's, this was crazy to me. And, he comes in and honestly Aaron I can't like I tell this story to people all the time you talk about great shooters and great basketball players this guy was like on another planet like, like didn't I, he, I was a vi- go ahead
0: cuz he was on the spectrum right so didn't he do something where like it, it couldn't hit a part of the rim like he he I think I read an article so, on him um yeah, cuz he had he, uh, had, um, he had Tourette's he had right Tourette's yeah.
1: yeah he had yeah. a pretty severe Tourette's where he would you yeah. know um you know, uh, it's like they, almost like they convulse almost, right. He he, he would yeah. tense up and, and make a really loud noise probably at the time, like once a minute, maybe, maybe even, wow. even more frequently. He just didn't mm-hmm. do it when he played, when he played, he just had like a really severe twitch. Um, mm-hmm. but when he was playing and sweating and moving, you know, everything was normal. And, uh, yeah. So, and he had a bit of obsess obsessive compulsive disorder where Things had to sound a certain way. The ball had to kind of go in a certain way. His shoes had to be a certain way, like you know. And 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 since I've been in coaching, I've actually you know been around a fair amount of uh, mental illness. I've had a lot of players that have had different things, and I wouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. say it's an illness, um, but yeah. you know compulsions, right? And different things Absolutely. that I've learned a lot. Uh, learned a lot about, and so yeah. And he he was the nicest, most intelligent uh, talented person I'd ever been around, man. And he, we would shoot after practice all the time. He used to call me college boy. Cause I was the only rookie and he would make <laughs> like in a workouts, consistently, the guy would make 63s in a row, 65, 57, 58, 62. It was unreal. His shooting was just unbelievable. And um yeah, he played for that team the whole year and I, I came off the bench, you know, every couple games. Most games I wouldn't even check in, but I came off the bench. I learned a lot. A lot of my offense uh that I run now and things that I do and concepts that I do came from that coach and that um that team actually. It was a really good team.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and then
0: now when you decide to walk away from the playing side of the game, is it the body breaking down? Is it time for a change? Does a significant other come in your life? Like why why the transition from there to the, you know, the Mississauga power, right? Like how do you yeah. how does yeah. how does that all morph? Cause I think it's pretty cool. And we, we you know, it's important for people to hear just how that journey begins. Cause you've had you've had kind of almost three separate journeys, right? Like your high school journey, jumping to you know, almost like what's a version of a prep school now to like your university, which is very unique in terms of D1 back to CIS. And then this crazy like coaching journey that gets you to, you know, Taiwan of all places, right? So I totally want to get into that. No,
1: this is, so this is good because this is what sparked my coaching. So when I was in Italy, I had never seen or been taught spacing like this, you know, and Mm. it's funny because you know, the whole space and pace, the warrior stuff and all of this, like started to become really popular, you know, what, six, about five, six years ago. And I was like, look, man, we were doing that in Italy in 2004. Like we, we (laughs) ran, we would like run this middle ball screen set in Italy and put guard shooters in the corners and kind of like roll, replace the four and five or, you know, different, you know, sometimes not always replace but roll in short corner. And we would get these shots. And I was like, how are we getting these shots? Because, you know, where I'm from, you got to run guys off staggereds and pin downs and flares, you know, to get shots. Like, where is this stuff coming from? And I like mm-hmm. absolutely fell in love with it. And then every scouting report, every time we'd go play in another team in the Italian first league, it was like, to me, it was just like, it was like a being in an art museum. Like everything was a <laughs> masterpiece. And, and so, but I already knew. Was your coach Italian? Uh, my, uh, no, my coach was Croatian. <laughs> He was, oh, okay. um, the, Cro- yeah, the Croatian national team coach that year, but you know, the Italian coaches and you know, that whole, that whole kind of, uh, basketball the Italians, the Italians and Spanish are similar, but different, but it's all space and pace and shooting driven. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say small ball, but you know, fours that can shoot and, um, Yeah, man. I, I knew at the university of Guelph that I wanted to coach. I knew when I was a kid, I wanted to coach because that's all that my dad and I ever talked about was the game from a coaching perspective. Right. I never had the father son talks. It was always the, you know, coach son talk, right. And coach player talk. Right. So I knew I wanted, but when I got to Italy, man, I was like, man, I want to coach tomorrow. Like I want to put this in. I want to run these things. I want to do that. And then again, in Italy, I thought, You know, there was always these days where I was like, no, I don't think I would do it like that. I think I would do it like this. And I don't think I'd call that timeout. I think because I was coming off the bench and not playing a lot. So I like sit back and like almost like, you know, be a fan. Right. And I would even go to my coach and say, hey, man, how come nobody in Europe, you know, presses? How come there's never any full court defense? And we had this long talk one day and just questions like that. You know, he he would kind of just open my eyes to things. And yeah, so. Then I had uh, three, more, three more years of like really, really just grinding in Europe at the time. And, and it goes back to that first job that I took. I took it for the money, so I never played, right? And when it came to getting my second job that second year, I had just been with the Canadian national team. I had a broken thumb and nobody really wanted to take me because there was no real recent film on me. Not, not too much anyways. And my agent was asking for more money and it just seemed like I had two or three years of that in a row, just kind of wacky situations in in different countries and stuff. And so I came home, I was in Italy, I think the start of my fourth year, I had plantar fasciitis in both feet. I kind of wore myself into the ground training that summer. And, uh, I came home to kind of reset and rehab. And I got offered a job um, uh, working at uh, just outside the University of Guelph, you know, where I had played and where I was living at the time for a really big real estate developer out of Toronto who had these properties in Guelph and the salary. And he gave me salary, gave me a car, gave me an apartment, gave me cell phone, all bills, everything taken care of was like five times that I was making playing basketball. Right. And so (laughs) I was like, all right, this is really tough to turn down, even though I wanted to. And I did have a job that I was really close to turning down the real estate stuff and taking the job. Um, And then, you know, life happens. And I I met now I met this girl who ends up being my wife now. And uh, I was like, you know what, I'm going to stay and I'm going to start coaching. But here's what happens when you want to start coaching after your professional player. And 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 this is where the story becomes interesting and why my lineage is like the complete opposite of most of these other Canadian coaches is I just refused to kind of work for free. Right. I just refused, <laughs> Aaron, to take like an em- entry level job. I just did. I just didn't want to. I, I, You know, I had played professionally, right? I had played on the national team at the time. Uh, I had a great work. I think I thought that I had a good feel for the game. And I just didn't want to. It had nothing to do with not wanting to be an assistant or anything. But you got to remember at the time in U Sports, for example, there were no paid assistants. Like zero. Like these assistant coaches were working 40 hours a week maybe 30 hours a week for like a check at the end of the season for like two thousand dollars
0: yeah a couple grand like, yeah
1: yeah and and you know what i mean that's what it was at the time and that's sports in canada at the time uh, at the university level there was no nbl canada at that point just yet there was no cebl there was no raptors 905 like there was nowhere where i could go and say okay you know what I will work for free for a year or two uh, to, you know, to get my foot in the door. I didn't want to do that at the U sports level, work for free for a couple of years because I knew I wasn't going to get a U sports job. And, you know, and at that time I had no coaching certifications. Right. And, 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 and at the time for me, it was, uh, again, I'm, you know, I'm 25, 26. You know, I, I just played for, you know, the Croatian national team coach and these really, really high levels, the Italian first league. I'm like, I think I know the game pretty well. You know, um, I was raised by a coach, you know, who's had all the certifications and everything. And, you know, so at the time, I just didn't want to do that. So I started a training business and the training business exploded. I was training kids uh, six in the morning and then I would work all day for the realtor. And then I would train kids again at night, like all the time. And it got really big. And, and you know, we, we, would, we spent time with guys like Kevin Pangos. It got really, really big. It, it, it was really fun. And it was really, really exciting. And um, I did it for almost seven years. I just trained and trained and trained and trained guys and studied the game. And we ended up getting over 75 scholarships. We ended up getting over 75 scholarships. And um, we were starting to work with pros. Pros were coming back in the summer to work with us and stuff like that. So we had like a good reputation in Ontario. Um, Social media was just kind of starting. Right. So, you know, Twitter and that kind of stuff. You guys did everything
0: via YouTube, all YouTube stuff, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. We used to put our workouts on YouTube and to do these different things. And and I I had a great time with it. And then after about seven years, um, that was the cool thing about my real estate job was my my the owner of the company allowed. He knew I was doing both like he allowed me to do both. And as long as I was producing at work, I could train kids whenever and however I wanted. And the basketball became bigger and bigger every year. And then after about my seventh year of training um, kids and, and working, I, I just missed the game. Like, I just missed being in the locker room. The training wasn't competitive. I wasn't going against anybody, right? Uh, I I didn't have the chance to, to win or lose. I got bored. Um, I loved the kids. It had nothing to do with actually getting bored in the gym. It was just I needed, you know, that c- competition. And so... NBL Canada had started, um, NBL Canada now was in its third or fourth year. And I was incredibly impressed with it. Like I would go to London to watch games. Cause a friend of mine was the general manager in London guy I played at the university of Guelph with, and they had 8,000 people to a game. Like it was unbelievable. I could not believe this was in Canada. And, um, so the Mississauga team one summer we were in the gym. My um, the the one of the last summers we were in the gym training and training and training guys like crazy. All pros that summer we did like pre draft workouts and stuff. And the Mississauga Power, uh, John Wiggins, who now works high up for the Raptors nine hundred five, was in the gym. And I begged him for a job, like let me coach that team, man, like let me let me get on that staff. And they basically said no the first year. I had no experience. And then the next year they called me. They offered me the job. And so now I. Uh, the money was re- was really low. Um, and I was making good money in real estate and really good money doing the basketball stuff because we would have camps and we would do all that stuff, Aaron. So now here I am with this, this choice um, to work for the Mississauga Power and quit my day job, uh, which was like a nice six-figure income or work for the Mississauga Power, which was about 20 grand for the year. And so I concocted this This my wife looked at me like I was crazy. We had two kids at the time. We had a four and a two year old and uh, or was it three and one? No, it was three and one. Yeah. And and, and I, I go to my boss and I literally ask him if I can do both for one year, if he would let me do both for one year. So he said yes. So this was the craziest thing. I was living in Hamilton, Ancaster. The team was in Mississauga. That's an hour away. And my job was in Guelph. That's another hour in a different direction. So uh, we would practice in the mornings in, in uh, Mississauga. I drove an hour. Then I would drive the afternoon uh, to Guelph, work in the afternoon in Guelph. And then wherever the game was that night, I would personally drive myself to the game, whether it be Windsor or whether it be Orangeville or back in Mississauga at home. And I did it for a whole season. And we got our asses kicked that year we were seven and 25 we had the lowest budget in nbl canada we it was incredibly challenging and then my job my boss fired me at the end of the year because i the basketball and everything was it was just i mean i couldn't believe i was i was working a 40-hour basketball week and a 40-hour uh real estate week because i was in charge of 220 apartments It, it was just the craziest thing but i did it for the year and The Mississauga stuff, even though we had a bad record, we competed at a high level and we had different forms of success that year. We won some big games. We won our first ever playoff game. And um, so my job, my boss fired me. He gave me a payout. Um, And now I'm thinking I'm going to do basketball full time. And and my wife and I are trying to figure out how we're going to afford to live off the Mississauga (laughs) power salary. And we, we were away one weekend and I found out on Twitter that the Mississauga Power had been bought by the 905s. So now I have no job, like whatsoever. So I quit or been fired from my real estate. It was essentially let go in Mississauga because the Raptors 905 bought the Power. And um, that was it, man. I was, so for that whole summer, I had no job. Jumped right back into the training. Got that going again at a pretty high level. And then by the end of the summer, I was offered the job to the number one team in um, NBL Canada, the London Lightning and that opportunity really changed really changed my life. We had a ton of success there for 2 years, won a championship. Um, you know, and it was a crazy it was an amazing championship. Coach Doug Doug was with me and, you know, became like my brother through that process. I hired him for that for that second year and we won the championship. And then I had a bunch of offers around the world after that and um and I'm kind of now just living through that experience, but yeah, my my coaching lineage was literally me Building a name for myself, training kids, um, having enough good relationships to, to beg for an opportunity in NBL Canada. And then I've now parlayed that into like a career now, uh, seven or eight year career. But, but I've been able to, uh, you know, I've been able to turn it into like a really great experience now, three years in a row overseas in Asia where, where the money is, is, is really good. Um, my family comes over, my kids go to school there. We have this amazing life experience and, and we're quite happy, um, in the, in the process, but, uh, yeah, I, I basically just worked really hard as a coach to get, to get particular opportunities. I didn't, um, I didn't climb that Canadian coaching ladder that's set out for everyone where you have to be an assistant here and have to be an assistant there. Uh, you have to pay this due and and, and do that. I, I didn't. And, and I love I love telling kids and young coaches the fact that they don't have to do that. You don't have to pay into a process to be a good coach. You just have to pay the, the, the cost. You just have to pay the dues of working and proving yourself.
0: Yeah. I again sitting here thinking because you know my wife and i talk a little bit and it's like do you ever and and some of the guys you know like corbin the guy who's producing the podcast as our junior coach and played for mm-hmm. me and so the guys kind of say yeah have you ever interested in moving on coaching and i i and i've never i've never thought of it as from a global perspective i've only thought of it from a, a canadian perspective you know right. I was like well right. Right. then i've got to go to like Douglas or like Langara, if they hire me, that's you know I'm sure. not saying I would get the job and then, you know, work my way and then, okay, well, do I want to move to Lethbridge, Alberta, you know, so I I think it's yep. really cool to hear, you know, your individual path and story. And, and the one takeaway from your last little part for me was just, uh, I always talk to kids about relationships and how you treat relationships. And you said that word yourself, you said, I had enough relationships that I could you know, call some people and have some people to fall back on when I needed it the most. And I think it's such a key thing is like, yeah, you work hard and, you know, you were wanted to be a winner and and be the best you could, but you still treated people a way that when the time, you know, you, and you're prideful guy, but the time came where it's like, wow, what am I going to do? I need to make a few calls, but I still have enough people in my corner that will be able to look out for me, which I think is a huge thing. Um, Especially when we get into our adult life, right? You know, you got to be willing to sacrifice and make changes to grow. Um, so that's just a huge thing. And uh, your your story is like absolutely phenomenal.
1: Yeah, like I, I tell kids all people all the time, like why Why do you have to coach in Canada if you want to be a coach? You know, yeah. I mean, ca- Canadian coaching and Canadian basketball is is, uh, is very very political, and I and I don't mean that negatively. It just there's there's mm-hmm. circles in Canadian coaching, and if you're in one of those circles, uh, you'll, you'll have opportunities when when they arise. You just will. But if you're not in one of those circles, and I'm not like I, I never was in any of those, I I just wasn't in any of the Canadian coaching circles by any means. You know, and I always approached I always approached my playing career with a you know with a relentless kind of ferocity, and, and some people like that, and some people don't. And I think most people that I've come across have had opinions about about that um, and then tying it to who I am as a person. And I think as a result, I've never been in any of those those circles coaching. And NBL Canada was a bit of a renegade league. You know, it wasn't tied to Basketball Canada. It wasn't tied to U sports. It wasn't tied um, to anyone else. And, and they looked at me for my merit like they looked at me for the relationships and the kids that I have trained and I, my experience playing. They never once looked at me on my certifications or did, you know, did you come from this background or that? And so I think for that, I'll be forever grateful. Cause if it wasn't for NBL Canada, I would not have been able to turn this into a career. And, 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 um, and, you know, going overseas, um, has just opened my eyes to how much opportunity there could be, you know, financially, and then obviously coaching, but, the one thing I'll say mm-hmm. to any coach looking for a job anywhere, and I hire coaches all the time. Now I look for skill and development guys all the time. The, the one thing that I'll say is you are, and, and people don't like to hear this, Aaron, but you, as a coach, you mm-hmm. are your record. Okay. If mm-hmm. you're, if you're, if you're winning, right, if you're winning and things are going well, you're going to have opportunities, right? If you're losing OK, and things aren't going well, you're not going to have as many opportunities. So you have to find a way to win. Now, when I say record, I don't mean wins and losses. OK, I'm very clear about that with guys. When I say record, I really mean what the players that you've coached and have been around you say about you. That's your record. That's your coaching record, okay? It's your, it, that's your true resume. So what happened for me when I got the Mississauga Power Job, for example, is I didn't have uh, any record for them to say oh, he's a winning coach, but I did have a ton of pros saying, yeah, he helped me get better. I did have 75 kids say, yeah, he, he helped me get a scholarship. You know what I mean, and so so then when when we went seven and twenty five and with the Mississauga power got our butts kicked, the number one team in the league gave me an opportunity the next year, not because I went seven and twenty five but because the guys loved playing in that environment. We competed every night, they found out that I was spending my own money renting apartments for guys so that we could have better Americans because the team couldn't afford it, you know things like that right, and so you you really are what the players that have played for you say about you, um, and a lot of guys don't. And a lot of guys don't like me. I'll, I'll be perfectly clear. A lot of players that have played with me do not like me because of my approach and the, the honesty and things like that. But that's fine. What, what, what matters is what is like the general perception, right? Like the, what, what kids really say about you. That's your true coaching record. And if guys are mm-hmm. saying good things, and at the end of the day, man, if you did get your players better, you will win every time. You'll win. Mm. Like if guys are getting better, if guys are becoming better basketball players, if they're getting in better shape, if they're tougher, if they're if they're more engaged, if they're learning concepts and they're going out and executing, you'll win, man. You you'll win. And and mm. that's been my coaching certification and that's been my that's what's helped me get to the next level. And by no means am I at this top level. I think I'm still mm. yeah. in the bottom rung of climbing the coaching opportunities in the world right but but at least i've i've been able to turn it into a seven or eight year career at this point and and i've had jobs lined up in in the fall um every year and then that that's that's what i consider being you know the next step every time is having those opportunities right and corbin do you have a question
0: for coach we're obviously respectful of his time here we got to we got to put you through the lightning round though so yeah um, let's do it be ready be ready for that but corbin always likes to ask you know a question or two you know being a young coach so uh fire away buddy all right uh, thank you for your time coach Um, i'm just wondering um like one of my favorite podcasts that we've uh kind of done is we had steve Maggie on the pod and i know he talked about when he tore his acl before he got to mcmaster like he's he's out there you know uh grinding um he's taking notes on the guy he's gonna you know take his job next year and he's like i'm gonna dissect you next year i'm gonna get after it how do you think it's possible I, you know, especially I'm a high school coach. Um, to develop that that dog, or how much of it is on the kid? How much of it is on his environment on his you know, upbringing? Or can a coach kind of bring that out of a out of a kid? Or what what do you think?
1: Yeah, so that's the million dollar question. I actually remember asking that exact same question before I got too deep in, uh, into my first coaching career career or uh, first coaching opportunity to Dave Smart. I asked him and I framed it a little bit differently, but it was the same question about toughness, right? He's had a few dogs
0: in his career, hey?
1: Right, (laughs) right. So, um, and I remember him specifically telling me, and I kind of already knew the answer in my mind from being a player, right? Like when you play, you know guys are tough and guys who aren't. Like your teammates, like, you know, you can sense it. Right. And, and then tough guys do tough things, right? Like Steve mega is a close friend of mine. I, we used to train together. I've known Steve really well. So Steve went to cathedral and had graduated a few years before I got there. So uh, Steve is a close friend of mine and Steve is a dog through and through like a, like a dog. And so um, the, the I think I don't think that you can truly develop a dog in a guy. I don't think you can truly develop toughness in a kid. I think it's there or it isn't, but what you can do is you can enhance it. Okay. And then once you can enhance it, you can preserve it in your environment. Right. So when I was at uh, Furman university, I played way harder and I was a way tougher kid. And I played better, way better than when I was at the university of Guelph. My, my environment at the University of Guelph, the kids weren't really pulling it out of me. The teammates, guys weren't coming early. Guys weren't staying late. There was no strength coach, you know, barking at you at 6 a.m. There was no real true accountability or consequences for winning or losing. The athletic director didn't care if you won 50 games or five games, right? That, that's just Canadian basketball at that time. And so I wasn't as tough, but I was a tough kid. I just wasn't as tough. So Corbin, to answer your question, I think you've got to, if that's what you want, you need a culture of toughness, right? So everything you do is tough. There's accountability 7 days a week, 24/7, man, not just on certain days after a loss, right? You treat the group the same way on Thursday after a loss on Wednesday as you do on Friday after a win on Thursday. Right? Like like you you have to be consistent with the toughness if that's what you want. And I and I think you've got to find a way to develop criteria where you go out and get tough kids so that that's already there so that you don't bring a soft kid into the program, you know, thinking he was tough or whatever. Now, high school is a different beast because I do think the high school kids are more, um, more, you know, you can mold them a little bit more. They're more impressionable. They're less experienced. You know, they're at that stage of adolescence where, you know, they do need to learn and they do need to be taught. Um, I think the key ingredient is, is accountability. Right. But again, like we talked about earlier in the podcast, if you're a coach who wants accountability and you don't hold yourself accountable and you let other things go, so player A, you're telling him he's got to do A, B, C, and D and you're busting his butt for doing A, B, C, and D, but then all of a sudden player B, you kind of let him get away with a few things here and there, player A will see that. Like that story that I told you guys about me remembering what my university coach had said to me and then going back on that about being a captain and stuff. Guys don't forget things. So if you have account- accountability through and through, you will have a culture of toughness. Um, but man, if a kid's really genuinely soft to the core, it's going to be hard to make them tougher. I think you can enhance it, but it's hard to, to kind of like develop it and, and create it
0: that's a great analogy though. Uh, even at the high school level, just the analogy between the two different levels you played at. That's great stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, man, this has been amazing. And uh, this is why I was really uh, excited to, uh, to get you on. Cause I think there's so many great takeaways. Um, But uh, more importantly, if you're hopping on the flight when, you, you know, we get the family organized, the kids fall asleep or they get into their uh, whatever Netflix. What's uh, what's spinning on Kyle Julius is uh, Spotify. What kind of tunes is oh, he rocking?
1: Spotify, is he... man? I got a, whatever. I got a di- Apple? whatever. Yeah, no, no, I got the Spotify. Are... I got a diverse okay. mix for sure. Um, it depends okay. what I'm it depends what I'm going through. So one of the things okay. that I've that I've tried to do as a coach with these these kids uh these guys um is i've tried to always stay relatable right so i'm hip right now man like you know what those guys are most of what they're listening to i'm listening to so you know the drake the baby these the the hip-hop and stuff i'm into that i like that i I mess with that uh as a player and stuff i was always big into hip-hop um yeah one of the things i like to listen to when i'm watching film if i know i got a if i know i got a long you know kind of film road ahead of me i like bob marley man i like my i like some bob marley i put that on and let it, let it run um yeah. and then i just and then i get into some uh what are some other stuff i got like today's hits i'll let that go a little bit i try and, i'm trying to stay hip to what to what the guys are listening to man i'm trying to stay relatable to the to my guys
0: fair enough i get that yeah uh, P, i teach pe yeah. right and we you know it's like the kids want to hear certain things so some yeah. of it i'm okay with some of them like nope we're, we're yeah, moving yeah,
1: on. yeah yeah we're yeah, on yeah for sure <laughs> for sure yeah, yeah 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 oh yeah man the yeah. 90s hip-hop 90s r&b man that's our time man i love that stuff for sure i'll always have that but uh coming up, coming off the you know our stint with the bandits here i was uh i'm big i I, am big on music in practice i like music at the start i've been doing that my whole coaching career i loved it when i worked Mm -hmm. out i loved it when i played you know first we we do 30 minutes of skill and development every practice no matter what day before a game day after no matter what we're doing and i'll I'll let the i'll let the guys i'll let the guys pick i've heard some cool stories of coaches you know letting the leading rebounder from the last last game pick the music or leading charge taker or something so i've thought about things like that but um Definitely, um, de- de- you know, definitely try and try and keep practice and stuff upbeat, and music seems to be a great way to do that.
0: I've heard, I've heard that's cool. I've heard um, I never really thought of it either, and I heard like uh, Nick Nurse does that a lot as well. He'll he'll play like, music throughout yeah throughout the whole practice and much like they'll let guys pick or whatever and you know that's kind of a cool way to just create a different culture as well and then you get to know people on a different level it's like oh i didn't know you were into this you know so
1: yeah yeah well i I was listening to taiwanese taiwanese rap all last year i let the taiwanese guys pick the pick the music and stuff so yeah i've uh, I've been through it all man (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious
0: yeah uh who's the greatest player you've either played against or coached against or who are a couple names that you're like whoof, those guys are legit um or coached with against doesn't matter like just and i know everybody yeah. always feels bad that they, they're gonna leave someone out but is there is there like a top five or a few guys that you're like wow those those were some ballers
1: yeah, there's, man, I've been around some, you know, I tell I talk about NBL Canada has had some unbelievable players that no one would have ever known about. See, the difference between NBL Canada and the CEBL is the CEBL has spent a ton of, um, you know, money, time, and energy and done an amazing job marketing their product, whereas NBL Canada didn't spend any time, money, or energy mar- marketing their product, but they had some unbelievable players. And And I tell the story about Royce White, you know, all the time, and I'm sure Doug's talked to you about Royce um Royce to me outside of some of the NBA guys I was around in uh, Italy and in playing and at those levels and stuff um Royce to me was by far the most talented basketball player combined with like natural athleticism that I've ever been around he, he hmm. was so I coached Royce for a full season in London uh my third yep. year coaching we had an unbelievable season we went you know, 50 and six or something like that, 35 and five in the regular season. Royce was uh, was really, really special. We formed a really good relationship, a special relationship, and he played great for me. He played hard for me. He was an amazing teammate, but his his physicals, like six, eight, 275 pounds with no fat on them, the biggest hands I've ever seen. I think he, I think he has the top, he's got the top six, the sixth biggest hands in the history of the NBA draft or the fifth. And, um, his passing vision, his ball handling, his athleticism, he literally plays one through five, uh, Royce is special. Royce was really special. And I, I haven't, I still haven't been around a guy with that much, the, the combination of talent, vision, and physicals. I haven't been around that.
0: Mm-hmm. That's cool. And I yeah. also like just, and it has nothing to do with basketball, but I think it says a lot about him. You know, it, it kind of came out when he was under you guys, you know, just the stuff that he was going through mentally and then and and him being powerful and strong enough to be vulnerable and talk about that and share that with people. I think was great. And then, you know, with with, uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter recently, him stepping in and taking a you know a leadership role there. I've been following that. It's like it's just very cool to see guys not afraid to use their platform to to affect and help others so i think that says a lot and when you have someone like that combine that with basketball talent like it must be just a pleasure to be around them on a daily basis and see them
1: yeah royce is a special guy it's um you know i think i think he's found his calling now you know he he was always a major advocate for you know mental health specifically Royce you know he basically walked away from an NBA contract there's a lot of uh, you know there's a lot of myths around why he walked away or how he walked away but I I know the real Royce and I know the real story and you know he essentially walked away from millions upon millions of dollars uh, because he didn't agree with the NBA's not adjusting their contract for a mental health policy or towards a mental health policy and you know it's interesting because now you know eight years later or whatever it is now they finally have started to do that and Royce you know initiated that and so I think advocating and you know standing up for causes um and you know none better than black lives matter for sure and I, I think it gives him the platform to you know to speak up um on behalf of you know black people in the u.s and everywhere else but but also mental health at the same time because i think it goes hand in hand and uh, yeah royce is special man he, he he was uh for being a third year coach uh to have him and, and and deal with him and and be able to learn also learn from him and help him as well was was really cool
0: yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. what, are your th- what are your thoughts about ketchup on macaroni?
1: Ketchup on macaroni? Like macaroni, like mac and cheese? Yeah. You mean? Yeah, yeah I'm with it a yep. little bit. A little bit. I used to do it as a kid. Um, my yep. kids love mac and cheese now, but, you know, we, we got to get them the, you know, the healthier version of it or whatever. But uh, my kids don't do it. Yeah, Annie's or whatever it is. Yeah, my kids yep. don't do it, but I, I think I've done it once or twice. I'm not, uh, I won't discriminate.
0: It's a very controversial topic. We've had people yeah. with their own like yeah. remix, like Triano said he likes salsa on his macaroni. And Really? You know, it's a bit Interesting. of Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like everybody has their own... Some okay. people say Tabasco.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Tabasco. My, yeah. my wife has to put Tabasco on everything, hot sauce on it, on everything. So I could see that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, who's, who's been the most important person in your life or people, a couple people? everybody has a hard time just picking one.
1: Yeah. There's no one for me, you know, for sure, for sure. It was my parents, uh, you -hmm. know, uh, for sure, you know, growing up, man, I mean, just, just going along my journey, just being a part of my journey is they, you know, they, you know how parents are, they they take your losses. They take, you know, I used to get cut from the national team. I got cut six summers in a row before I finally made it. And, you know, I remember Mm -hmm. calling home every time Yep, I got cut and I think it hurt my mom and dad you know more than it hurt me half the time right so they them always mm-hmm. being there for me them them pushing me and supporting me um they still do do to this day uh they, they they've been unbelievable and then my wife i think my wife has always been you know since we've met she's just had this it's funny you know when i recruit players and we talk about looking for toughness and grit i guess i i kind of did that in in my wife as well she's she's as tough and as gritty as anybody and um she tells me what i don't want to hear uh, way before (laughs) what I do want to hear. And I think that makes our relationship special. She's been, she's been instrumental actually in my, my coaching. It's funny because we're just signing our imports, um, for our team in Taiwan right now. And and we have a big budget and it's really, really important. You only get two imports and, uh, you know, she shaped our decision, uh, because she listens to me and she says, you know, if you're going to take your own, are you going to do this? Are you going to take your own advice? Because if you're going to take your own advice, then you're going to take this guy. And I thought it was quite interesting to have someone be able to do that, um, you know, to give you that perspective of what you're saying all the time and how you're carrying yourself because you get lost sometimes, right? As a coach, we get, like you said, you get lost in the wins and losses. You get lost in the periodization of what you're doing, whether it be a training camp or choosing players. And uh, yeah, she's always been amazing that way for me. Yeah, that's great.
0: Yeah, I think... Even at the high school level, I know my wife knows January, February, I am, she's, you know, she's not seeing me a lot and you're on a whole yeah. other level of that. So you need that, you That's need right. that rock in your corner yeah. for sure. Big yeah. Time, man. Yeah. Um, I know, I know you're like a fitness dude. You're a super healthy guy. So this may be a tough one. Um, we got a couple more for you, but if you, yeah, no if you had a few bucks, what bag of chips are you grabbing? What's the, what's the greatest bag of chips out there?
1: Oh man, the chips, the, the, I've been all over these, the ones they sell at Costco, the, uh, they're like, you know, you, you, they're for the salsa They're oh, man, you get the salsa with them, the hummus, uh, I can't remember the name, but it's like, they're, you know, they're, they're like the healthy corn chips, um, you know. Uh, are they the yeah, ones kind of, likes? uh what are they uh, called i know i can't what, remember the uh, name now yeah. all of a sudden we have them all the time here they, you can get yeah. you can get the the they have a bunch of different flavors of them they're supposed to be pretty healthy i get the i get them at, at costco actually in taiwan where i live in in taiwan there's a costco and they sell them the taiwan and costco yeah. has been life savings uh, uh lifesaver <laughs> because they have all, all, all our type of food over here yeah man so oh yeah th- th- those are the chips i go for all the time i can't remember the name of them they're like corn chips or whatever but the healthy shoot. I can't remember the name.
0: Corbin's going to pull it up for us. Yeah. Um, Perfect. Love it. Who, two more questions. Who in your mind is the greatest basketball player of all time?
1: Well, for me, I mean, Jordan right away, right. Because I'm from, I'm from that era. I, you know, as I've grown and as I've coached and I've tried to do as best a job as I can of look as looking at the other perspective to things, you know, all the time, Um, you know, uh Jordan for me I grew up in that era that's all I watched he's the only player I watched you know with the bulls would play I would only watch him I tried to walk and talk like him and play like him and and all that stuff so for me immediately it goes to Jordan but I I do see the argument you know I do see the LeBron argument I do see some of these some of these other arguments for other players but but for me the way that I look at the game I just man like as, as you know I I just Toughness and grit, uh, competitive fire—you know, holding guys accountable. You know, showing up every single day. I, I don't know, man. Like Jordan, to me, it's—it's it's hard to argue against Jordan, especially now with like load management and all the all the technology, all the training equipment, <laughs> all the nutritional technology now. And he, and Jordan had none of that, you know. And mm-hmm. they talk, they also talk now about you know, the spacing and how it's easier to get your shot off now and this and that. And, you know, if you look at these NBA teams now, one of the things people don't, people forget to argue in the argument, you know, they'll talk about the technology. They'll talk about, um, you know, how guys now have a better opportunity. They'll talk about how it was less physical, but the coaching now, I mean, you look at these coaching staffs now, there's, they're 15 and 20 people deep. From, <laughs> you know, assistants, like you look at the the Raptors, man, like you've got the Spanish national team coach. I mean, they, they have just such an incredibly diverse staff. Coaching staffs were not like that when the Bulls played. So as far as figuring out an edge and then they didn't have the film technology, there was no synergy. So Jordan was able to do what he did with half. I mean, a fraction of the technology and resources now that guys are doing with double and triple the technology and resources and coaching staffs and, and so on and so forth. So for me, man, I hear the arguments, I see them, but I don't think I'll ever be able to really truly digest any of them other than Jordan being the greatest. ever.
0: Yeah. That might be the best breakdown we've had. I've never thought of it from that standpoint as well. That's good stuff. Yeah. Well, cause you know, we're coaching,
1: would... right? And like, how do I get a guy yeah. better? Right. So like nowadays, yeah. you know what I do? Like I, I so yeah. Okay, does he have the Normatex? Does he have the the BioSteel? Does he have the nutritional supplements? Okay, I got to get him on Synergy. I got to get my assistant coach who's in charge of video to email him all the clips of his next opponent, to email him all his mistakes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, cetera. do all this stuff. Okay, then we're going to get in the gym. We got the shooting machine. We got the bands for stretching. (laughs) I mean, it's endless what we have now to actually take a guy to the next level. When Jordan played, there was literally none of that. Like literally none of that. So very yeah. in that, that aspect to me is like really interesting.
0: Yeah. Right. on. this has been great. Last question for you. And, and we're so thankful for your time. Um, no if problem. you could do it all again, you would.
1: Yeah, I would, I would do it all again, for sure. I might, I might skip a few few mistakes that I made <laughs> along the way if I could, but, uh, no, this, you know, and, and I, as we were saying earlier, I feel like I'm just getting started too. I'm as hungry you know, as I was as a player trying to get my scholarship in, in the 10th, 11th grade, um, you know, I've got a tremendously supporting wife and my kids right now are at an age where traveling to these other countries is, is kind of fun. Um, you know, my parents are helping and supporting us when they, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just, as far as coaching is concerned, um, you know, I, I had the greatest time with the Bandits being with these guys in Canada. It's hard in Asia. um, you know, the, the everything has to be translated. The cultures are different and, and stuff like that. So I grow in a different way over there. But just being back with the Bandits this past summer, just like really kind of like fueled a whole new fire and, and and losing in the finals and stuff. So, yeah, I don't think I change anything because I'm sitting here right now today, fortunate to be on here with you and being able to tell this, this, this story. And, and I still feel like I'm a 10th grader in Thunder Bay trying to get a scholarship. I'm still that hungry.
0: That's awesome love it man uh just sidebar are for for people back here in canada that want to catch the squad do you guys stream games or yeah yeah we, every if game we go is, through
1: the yeah yeah it's called the uh, the team is called the formosa dreamers they've got an awesome yeah, at the instagram um, yeah they, they've got an awesome instagram account um it's actually really cool in taiwan because they've done such an amazing job with covid we'll still have uh you know five to five six thousand fans to our games um a really really strong basketball uh you know community in taiwan they love the game it's really big um and uh yeah all the games are on youtube and uh, they're streamed live and then they're left up there so yeah all of our games are there
0: Cool. Yeah, hopefully we'll, you know, we'll tag that and uh, hopefully get some some viewers and people can watch you in action. Um, before we let you go, do you have any last shout outs or comments? And I mean, just so, so many great takeaways for, for coaches, for players, for people that, you know, we have some random listeners that message us that don't even have anything to do with basketball, just like to hear people's ability to put their head down and get after it and be vulnerable and work. And I think your story is great. And, um, you know, for me personally, this is like a you know it's it's free protee but also being able to connect with people and you know hopefully one day we can get you out west and have it you know once COVID is gone we can have a coaching clinic and love to get you guys and like scotty morrison and and just share the wealth and knowledge because i think you guys have a different perspective you know you know it would be like a bc guy going to ontario or whatever right we all yeah yeah are kind of a product of our environment right so right, really right. really appreciate your time i know that family time is important right now before the chaos hits and um if you don't have anything else to say, then, um, other than for us, thank you so much, man. This has been great.
1: No, I just, I'd love to give a, you know, shout out to all the all the fans in BC that, that supported the bandits and have been supporting us, you know, after the tournament, I think that was really special. I've never really, you know, I've been to BC a bunch just for different things. Um, you know, always through basketball, but only, you know, for like a weekend here or there kind of thing. Um, uh actually i did work in cam loops for a couple months when i was doing the real estate that's actually uh i forgot about that that yeah i was there for a couple months but but yeah uh, n- nonetheless no um, i mean this has been awesome to be on here to tell my story and uh to the fans in bc and to all the coaches out there the the, the key the, the biggest thing that i've learned is just be yourself don't you know don't try and be somebody you're not don't try and be another coach you know f- figure out what you want to do and then like you and i were talking about earlier aaron there's always a way man there's always a way and i think that if you're willing to outwork yourself uh yesterday you know if you're willing to be better today than you were yesterday and you're willing to be yourself in the process i think players will always appreciate that they'll always recognize the real in that and good things will and good things will happen and you know what man it doesn't matter what level you're coaching at as long as you're making kids better and players better, it's the best. It's the best feeling, and, and, and it always pays off.
0: Couldn't agree more. What a great way to end. Um, I think going to have to go back and re-listen and get a notebook and take some notes and because this was just special. We thank you so much again. We wish you safe travels with you and your family. Hope you guys have an amazing season, and uh, we'll be following from a Hoops journey. I know Corbin, myself personally, will be following you in your journey, and uh, this has been great. Um, Thank you to our sponsor, Parkside Brewery and Good Lad Clothing. Amazing episode, an amazing hoops journey from Kyle Julius, and we will talk to you on our next episode. Thanks, everyone.